please turn with me to the scripture passage for this morning, which can be found in the book of Romans, chapter 8. We'll be looking at verses 31 through 37. Again, that's Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 37. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures with you, there are some found under your pews, and the page number for this passage is 1,201. Romans chapter 8, and I'll begin at verse 31. It reads, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is it to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. This morning, we gather together to celebrate the bodily resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified, dead, buried, and came forth bodily from the tomb to live forever. So I ask the question, where is Jesus now, and what is he doing? What is the resurrected Lord doing? Where is he? He's at the right hand of the Father. What is he doing? He is interceding for us. In Romans chapter 8, it begins by saying, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no fear of judgment. There is no fear of God finding fault with us who have placed our faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in Romans chapter 8, there are numerous reasons given as to why we do not need to fear. In the section that is before us, the question is asked, shall God find fault with us and his elect? And the answer is no. And then the question is asked, who is going to condemn? Who's going to find fault? Who's going to bring accusation? Will Jesus Christ? And of course the answer is not. Why won't Jesus Christ condemn us? My text this morning is actually just verse 34. We're going to spend our entire time. We'll look at parallel verses of course. But basically we're going to Look at Romans 8.34, where the question is, who is to condemn? We need to realize that Jesus is the one to whom all judgment 
has been committed. In John chapter 5, verse 22, it says, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. So when we come before God in judgment, it is going to be Jesus himself who is going to pass that judgment. It is Jesus who is going to be the ultimate one who makes the declaration as to whether one has eternal life or eternal death. All judgment has been committed unto Jesus. So the question then is, who is this Jesus? Who is the one before whom we're going to stand? Who is the one that is going to judge us? Notice verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one. And now we have a series of who's. And uh, if you would mark them with me, if you mark your Bible, what did we find about Jesus? Four things that Jesus did or is doing that assures us that we are not going to be condemned. Four things that Jesus did or is doing that assures that we're not going to condemn. So who is this Jesus? First, Jesus is the one who died. Notice verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus, the one. And now, here's our Arabic one. One who died. More than that, number two, who was raised. Number three, who is at the right hand of God. Number four, who indeed is interceding for us. So we're going to look at each one of those four statements about Jesus. And why we do not need to fear any condemnation because of Jesus' activity past and present. First, we have no condemnation because Jesus is the one who died. Jesus died on account of our sins. Just this past Friday, we celebrated Good Friday, that period of time in which Jesus hung upon the cross. And the reason that he hung upon the cross was to bear our sins. Romans 1 through 8 are very closely knitted and tied together. And so we go back to Romans 5, and it says this, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope by the glory of the Father. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance, character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. So now, if you're not there, turn with me to Romans 5. Romans chapter 5, and we're going to look at the significance of Christ's death. And what Christ's death accomplished or signified for us. Starting with Romans 5, 7. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But, number one, in Jesus dying for us, God showed his love for us. Verse 8. But God shows his love for us 
And that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus Christ died for his people. And in doing so, it demonstrated God's love for his people. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So God's love was demonstrated in giving his son and his son dying. Secondly, in Jesus dying for us, we have been declared righteous and will be delivered from God's wrath. Verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. So because of Christ's death, we have been saved from God's wrath. And not only that, in Jesus dying for us, we have been reconciled in our relationship to God. Verse 10. For if we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So who shall condemn us? Christ? Certainly not. He is the one who died so that we would not be condemned. Jesus is going to value his death. Jesus is going to accept his own death. Jesus certainly is not going to, in any way, find fault with his propitiating death in our behalf. Secondly, we have no condemnation because Jesus is the one who rose from the dead. And in rising from the dead, he took away our sins. Romans 8.34 says, who is condemned? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, now number two, who was raised. The resurrection of Christ demonstrates that God's justice has been satisfied through Christ's death. In Romans chapter 4, verse 25, it says of Christ who was delivered up for our trespasses and was raised again for our justification, meaning that through Christ's death, we are declared righteous as a result of the resurrection. The resurrection demonstrated that the father accepted the sacrifice of his son, that he was well pleased. And so Christ came forth from the tomb. The resurrection is Jesus's triumph over sin and death. Colossians says, And you were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers, authorities, and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him through the resurrection. Jesus Christ was raised to life, and so we will be raised also. John 11.25, uh, Jesus is uh, talking to uh, Mary at uh, the vicinity of Lazarus' tomb. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, 
Though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus said in John 14, 19, Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live. You also will live. Jesus Christ is the one who was raised. And because Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, we too will rise from the dead. Thirdly, we have no condemnation because Jesus is the one who is exalted at the right hand of God. Where did the resurrected Jesus go? Answer, he ascended to the right hand of the Father. Notice Romans 8, 34. Who is to condemn? Christ is the one, number one, who died. Number two, more than that, who was raised. Now number three, who's at the right hand of God? At the right hand of God is the place where Jesus is in his bodily resurrected state. When Jesus came forth from the tomb, he ascended into heaven bodily. And he is at the right hand of God the Father. Matthew 28, 6. He is not here. He has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay. Jesus said to his disciples, I will be with you a little longer, and then I am going to him who sent me. So Jesus has returned to the right hand of God. And the right hand of God is the place of majesty, power, and authority. It is the place of extreme exaltation. It's the place of highest honor. He is at the right hand of the Father. The significance of Jesus being at the right hand of God is multi-faceted. Uh, First, it means that he has completed and purified us from our sins. Romans 10, 12. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. It means that his atoning work is completed. He made the sacrifice for sins one time for all ages. Waiting from that time until the enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 1. And I want to work through this verse by verse as we look at this exalted, resurrected Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 1, I'm going to start with verse 3. Our text says he is at the right hand of God. So notice what we learned about being at the right hand of God from Hebrews 1, 3 and following. Verse 3, it's depicting the person of Jesus. He is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. He upholds the universe by the word of his power. And after making purifications for sin, 
he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Now notice the significance. First, Jesus being the right hand of God signifies that Jesus is greater than the angels in heaven. Verse 4, having become as much superior to angels. So Jesus isn't just an angel. He is superior to angels. The significance that Jesus is the right hand of God is that Jesus is very God. Notice verse 5. For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son today, I have begotten you. Or again, I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. Romans 1.4 said, He was declared to be the son of God in power, according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection of the dead. The significance that Jesus is the right hand of God is that he is to be worshipped. Hebrews 1.6 Again, when he brings the firstborn into the world, he says, let all the angels worship him. So he is at a place where he is being worshipped. The significance that Jesus is at the right hand of God is that he rules over all things as being truly God. Hebrews 1.7 and 8 Of the angels, he says, he makes his angels winds and his ministers a flame of fire. But of the Son, he says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of righteousness is the scepter of your kingdom. So now, here is Jesus exalted and referred to by God the Father as God. Superior to the angels to be worshipped, and to rule over all things. Ephesians chapter 1 says, referring to Christ and our relationship to him, there is a prayer that we might know what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great power that he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his own right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and power and authority and might and dominion and every name which is named not only in this age, but also in that which is to come, and gave him to be head over all things to the church, which his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Jesus is over all things every power, every might, every dominion. Who is going to condemn? Who is going to find fault? Jesus is the one who makes the determination. Jesus is the one who died. Jesus is the one who rose. Jesus is the one who is at the right hand of God over all things. Who can condemn? And then fourthly, there is no fear of our being condemned because Jesus is the one who is interceding for us. Verse 34. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is number one, the one who died. More than that, number two, who was raised. Number three, who is at the right hand of God. And now, number four, the one who is indeed interceding for us. 
Jesus entered into the very presence of the Father to represent us before the Father. Hebrews 9.24 For Christ has entered into the holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. On our behalf. Jesus, during his earthly ministry, had as one of his great priorities was to be interceding for us in prayer. And uh, those that were here on Monday, Thursday, we emphasized Christ's prayer for Peter in John chapter 17, the high priestly prayer of Jesus. Now that Jesus ascended into heaven, he is interceding for us. And that includes a number of ideas. First, right now, Satan, Satan is actively accusing us, that is, finding fault with us before God the Father. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, depicts Satan as a prosecuting attorney. Listen to the words. I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of Christ has come. For the accuser of our brethren has been thrown down. who accuses them day and night before God. That's what Jesus, excuse me, that's what Satan is doing now. Day and night, relentlessly accusing us before the Father. Finding fault with our actions. Finding fault with our lives before the Father. Satan is this prosecuting attorney. However, Jesus is the defense attorney. Jesus is interceding for us. 1 John 2, verse 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate, a defense lawyer with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Jesus is there defending us against any accusation that might come. Who is to condemn? Jesus is the one who is defending us. We have no condemnation since Jesus lives forever. There is no worry about future condemnation. Romans 6, 9 says we know that Christ being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Hebrews 7, consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for us. Jesus' defense of us never stops. Jesus' defense for us will never come to an end. He will always plead our case before God. However, there is more than merely the idea that Jesus is defending us from accusations. 
The aspect of interceding for us is that Jesus is helping us in a myriad of ways. Christ's intercession is a general description of his activity and his orientation for believers. Paul is not only asking the question, who can condemn us, and implying no one condemn us because Jesus is interceding for us, but Paul is also asking, who will condemn? Jesus? That would be absurd. He died. He rose. He is interceding for us. He is on our side. One of the demonstrable ways in which Jesus has interceded for us in heaven already is that Jesus sent the Holy Spirit to help us. Since Jesus went to be with the Father, the Holy Spirit is helping us here now. In John chapter 14, verse 16, Jesus said, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The risen Christ has sent the Holy Spirit to minister to us. John 16, 17. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus, at the right hand of God, has sent the Holy Spirit to help us and aid us. The Holy Spirit works in tandem with Jesus and Jesus' accomplishments for us. Jesus said in John chapter 14, These things have I spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have commanded you. So Jesus sends the Holy Spirit to teach us and to remind us of everything that Jesus taught and said and did. One of the significant ways that the Holy Spirit is working in tandem with the resurrected Jesus is the Holy Spirit's interceding for us here. If you're in Romans chapter 8, look back to verse 26. We spoke on this last week. Verse 26, Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. So the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. The thought is that the Holy Spirit is interceding for us here on earth. The Holy Spirit has been given to us to help us, teach us how to pray, and also, as I said last week, to pray on our behalf, to also be offering prayers. In the heavenly places, Jesus 
is at the right hand of the Father, also interceding for us, also praying for us, also watching over us and protecting us. It is a work that is being done in tandem on earth and in heaven. Holy Spirit helping us here, Jesus helping us there. Uh, I've got a quote from a book entitled Exalted Above the Heavens, The Risen and Ascended Christ, written by Peter C. Orr in 2018. He writes, and I quote, This is significant because the Spirit is presented as operating in parallel with Christ. It is not simply that Christ's intercession is mediated to us through the Spirit. That is, Christ is not praying for us through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is operating as a distinct, though not independent agent. He serves, albeit in a highly qualified sense, as a substitute for a Christ who's in heaven. Jesus said in John 16, 7, that's end quote. John 16, 7, nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go, for if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. So Jesus in heaven is interceding for us and has sent the Holy Spirit to be with us in the way in which, and in a greater way, in which Jesus was in his earthly ministry. There is a more intimate relationship now through the Holy Spirit than even when Jesus walked this earth. For now the Holy Spirit is indwelling us and, and ministering to us and interceding for us and Jesus in heaven is interceding and ministering for us. And in addition, Jesus is not only praying for us, but he is making our own prayers acceptable to God the Father. For we come to God in the person and work of Jesus Christ. That's why we pray in his name. That's why we can come to him. That's why we can be assured that God hears us. Because Jesus is interceding. Because we're coming on the authority of Jesus Christ. The resurrected Christ. Who's at the right hand of God. And Jesus' intercession is effectual. Meaning it accomplishes its end and purpose. Jesus is in heaven watching over us. Jesus is in heaven protecting us. Jesus is in heaven continuing to help us. Jesus is in heaven continuing to minister to us. In short, Jesus is in heaven interceding for us. And one day, he is going to return to this earth. And one day, he is going to rule over all things. And one day, He's going to bring judgment upon all mankind. And when that day of judgment comes, we don't need to fear. 
Because the one who is judging is Jesus. The one who is judging is the one who died. The one who is judging is the one who rose from the dead. The one who is judging is the one who is even at the right hand of the Father. The one who is judging is the one who has, is, and always will be interceding for us. There is no fear of condemnation. I hope you have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, that you believe in him as your sole means of having eternal life and presence with God for all eternity. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. But if you place your faith in Christ, you have no reason to fear. Let's pray. Almighty God, we thank you for the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that he died. He arose. He's even at your own right hand. And even now is interceding for us. Lord, we await and say with the Apostle John, even so come Lord Jesus. And we're thankful, O oh God, that when Jesus Christ comes, that we do not need to fear judgment. For we have placed our faith in him, the one who died, the one who rose, the one who's even at your right hand, the one who is interceding for us, and the one who will come again. We thank you for the blessings of the resurrected Christ. For it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.